Welcome to the First Time Facilitator Podcast. Whether you're a first-time facilitator or a seasoned pro, listen in for tips and tricks to make a bigger impact at the next workshop you deliver. And now, your host. She built her first website when she was 13 years old, Leanne Hughes. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Leanne Hughes, and I'm here to help you develop and deliver workshops that kill. I release episodes every Monday. So if you're listening to this when it comes out, I hope you're having a wonderful start to the week. Or if you're picking it up sometime in future, whatever day of the week it is, I hope you're having a really good one too. This week's episode is a solo one and it's part two of my series the 12 rules for facilitation. So two episodes ago, back in episode 57, I shared the first four rules for facilitation. And I was really inspired to do this by Dr. Jordan Peterson's book, The 12 Rules for Life. And I thought that I could share my thoughts on rules or a bit of a framework that has helped me and can hopefully help you as first-time facilitators. If you haven't listened to that show, no worries. You can listen to each of the 12 Rules series as standalone episodes. Each three-part episode has four rules. The first four rules were rule number one, stand up straight with your shoulders back, directly taken from Dr. Jordan Peterson's book, but I've put my own little spin on it. Rule number two, iron your shirt the night before a workshop. Rule number three, Give yourself a fake deadline and convince yourself it's real. And finally, rule number four, finish at 5pm means you're out the door by 4.55pm. I'd be really keen to hear what rules you'd invent if given a chance. What are some things that you really stick to when it comes to your facilitation, things that are non-negotiable? Send me a rule that you like to stick by when you facilitate. And you can do that by Instagramming me at Leanne Hughes um, or shooting me an email, hello at firsttimefacilitator.com. But on the note of Instagram, I'm a huge fan of Instagram uh, and I love it when you, the listener, if you post up screenshots or things that you've learnt in a story, if you post them up on Instagram, definitely tag me. Um, I love seeing that and I'll definitely respond. As always, if you'd like to keep the conversation going when the episode is over, you can head on over to the free Facebook group called The Flip Chart where you can share your facilitation stories, tips, tools, what you're up to and you can also ask some questions. You can also sign up to the monthly newsletter called The Flip Chart as well. It'd be great to see you on the list. Links to any of the resources I mentioned on this episode can be found on the show notes page at firsttimefacilitator.com forward slash episode 59. Now, on to the show. Rule number five, it takes a lot of work to look natural. When I read the book Pivot by Jenny Blake a couple of years ago, and if you're a long time listener to the show, you know that this is one of my favorite books. It's had a huge impact on my career and also my business choices. Um, In the plant stage of taking a pivot, which is a four-part process that Jenny talks about in her book, uh, but Jenny shares that in the plant stage, it's important to take stock of what you're good at and what your strengths are. And a really nice way of figuring that out is to... Well, one, take the Clifton Strengths tool, which I love, but also to start really paying close attention to the compliments that you receive 
or the questions that people ask you or, you know, why are people taking you out for coffee? What, what, are they, what are they trying to get in your brain for? So I started doing that a couple of years ago and that's really why I started the podcast because uh, a few people were stopping me and asking me how to make their workshops more engaging. Now, the reason I'm sharing this is that last week I was invited by Kate Norris from Presentation Boss. G'day, Kate. Um, And Thomas, they're both uh, listeners and Thomas was a previous guest, but they're both Toastmasters and Kate was running a Toastmasters conference and she invited me to be the keynote speaker. That was last Sunday and I spoke about the importance of side hustles and navigating that whole process of what's next. And following that speech, I had a few people come up to me and reach out over LinkedIn, which was awesome, and write messages and using the phrase, you're a natural. And it's funny, so I typed this phrase, you're a natural, into Google to see what what would come up. And the definition in the Collins Dictionary says, if you say that someone is a natural, you mean that they do something very well and very easily. For example, she proved to be natural on camera. If someone's behaviour is natural, they appear to be relaxed and are not trying to hide anything. So that was the definition online. It was funny, those two words very easily made me chuckle a bit. Um, And I love receiving that compliment and I'm very grateful that I get it from time to time. I guess what's interesting is that those words very easily, it's um, not too relevant. It's... um, what I'm doing isn't acquired easily. Um, And please don't listen to this, by the way, and think that this is an opportunity for me to brag. But all I want to really reinforce is that it takes a lot of work to look natural. The best person to tell you how much I practice and dedicate to this is probably my husband, Chris. I guess every time I have a big speaking opportunity, I go into a bit of hibernation. I, I actually mean that legitimately. I have this room downstairs where I record my podcast, but it's also the room where I come downstairs to draft things out and practice. Um, and I, I practice a lot. So in that definition that Collins gave of appearing natural, it says that you also need to be uh, appearing relaxed and not trying to hide anything. And this is why I think you need to understand and believe in the point, the topic, the argument or model you're trying to share or facilitate. Now, I think um, as audience members, listeners, you understand that facilitation and giving a public or keynote speech are two very different things. But usually though, say, like if you're facilitating a leadership program, if you want your participants to jump into an activity, you need to frame it up. For example, if you're talking about feedback and you're using the GROW model, to help explain it, it probably will it help you if you share a personal story, something that relates to a time that you've received or given feedback and use that to explain the tool. So to appear natural while you do this, you need to have a well-crafted story, which can take some consideration, you know, figuring out which details in the story to include, which to leave out. And this takes work and a commitment to practice. So when you're in the moment, you can land it. I definitely think the more experience you have on your feet, uh, the more fluid and easy the process is, especially if you're um, getting training and doing improv, that would definitely help. But having that experience has taken time, right? Which means you're not a natural. It's something that you've deliberately persisted with and, and trained for so that you do appear natural sometime in future. 
And I really still love that quote that Drew Tarvin, our humor engineer back in episode five mentioned uh, on that episode, he shared that Jerry Seinfeld is quoted as saying that you want to be able to rehearse it so much that you can deliver your routine even if you're being punched in the face. So in episode 27, I also share my tips for developing the confidence to speak in public and I do really rave on a bit about that whole concept of getting time on your feet and I think the best way to do that is to pick up your speech from various points. So don't always start practicing your speech from the beginning of the speech. And this whole point about practicing your speech or picking it up and practicing content that's halfway through uh, relates to my next rule. Rule number six, establish a cool down routine. I don't know about you, but whenever I do practice something or develop a course, it seems I invest so much time into the beginning, into that first part of the workshop or the first two minutes of the speech. Now, unfortunately, what seems to happen is that I also get a bit of brain fatigue. I seem to lose interest and I think, oh, the end of the workshop, I'll get inspired in the moment and I'll figure out how it's all going to end and I'm going to deliver the most resounding ending and I'll I'll figure that out on the day. I don't need to worry about it now. So one of the major learnings, again, of the speech that I gave last week at Toastmasters was that I'd really invested a lot of time and energy and practice focus on the beginning of that presentation. And when I was delivering upstage, on the stage, and I was getting close to the end of the speech, it I don't know if this appeared to the audience, but to me it felt rather scrappy. Um, It wound up okay and the ending was fine, but it could have been better. Now, I understand as facilitators towards the end of a a workshop, we really shouldn't prepare our own conclusion because we're there to drive um, outcomes and you don't know what's going to happen on the day. And our recap of the session should really ebb and flow with the content that was discussed However, I do think it's important and useful to think of a way that you're going to cool down. And that's what this rule is really about if we take the analogy of sport. So before a big netball game, netball's um, a game that's very close to my heart, or even before a training session, you go for a light jog around the courts, then you stretch, then you get into the, the drills or the game. And then when the final whistle is blown, you don't just hop into your car and drive away from the court. What you usually do is grab your drink bottle, take a sip, you jog down the court with your teammates, you discuss the game, then you sit together and debrief all of this with your coach while stretching out all of your muscles. So this cool down routine, it's as predictable as the warm up routine. This isn't my original concept or rule. I would like to credit uh, Dr. Annette Coy and Cameron Fee from the Cortex Group in Brisbane. Uh, They're doing amazing things in the world of workshops. I was talking to Cam late last year and he mentioned that they were identifying a nice three-step process to finish all their workshops that worked a bit like a template. So, a template's really key here. So I'm not saying that you end all of your workshops by asking the same three questions, getting feedback forms, taking a photo and and replicating that all the time. But what I'm saying is that it's definitely worth having a nice process or roadmap that you can follow to conclude a workshop strongly. More often than not, it's missed and we 
get home that evening and we reflect and think, oh, I forgot to do this, I forgot to do that. And look, it may also take some time and some experiments figuring out what a great way to end all of your workshops looks like. And that's cool. So just go ahead and test a ton of different ways. Another reason why this is so good and useful, this rule, is that when you develop your course, you can plot what the last 20 or 30 minutes will look like um, because you have a nice template that's robust and then you tailor that to the topic that you're exploring. So that's a really nice way to prepare in advance and like a Stephen Covey um, habit, it's beginning with the end in mind. Rule number seven, start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. How cool is that rule? Now, again, I didn't invent it and I'm not taking credit for the quote. Arthur Ashe said this quote, um, but where I heard it was on a workshop on the weekend um, based on the story cookbook. And I'll profile more of that workshop in the book in next week's episode. So that's just a teaser. So the rule again is start where you are, use what you have and do what you can. I think this is a wonderful philosophy, more so than a rule. It's probably a philosophy. Uh, Something to keep in mind, especially when you're a first-time facilitator. I think that when we're trying to build up our skills, our, well, our credibility really, we feel like we need to jump in and, and get more accreditations, get more certifications and more, more skills before we feel credible enough to be the facilitator at a workshop. The interesting thing about facilitation and what I've heard from so many of the previous guests is that you don't need to be the technical expert to facilitate a discussion or a workshop. I was listening to... David Rock in an interview back in 2015, uh, he was sharing some research that was done about coaching. And in the study, what was shown is that um, 50% of coaches actually feel like they're having a really positive impact, when in reality, only 5% of them actually do. And they're digging into the research and trying to figure out what was going on. And there came a situation, it was just by chance, really, there was Coach A there was the person they were coaching, it was person B, and then there was coach C. So coach A was talking to person B about all their problems and getting into the detail of the scenario and the situation and finding more of that stuff out. And coach C was late to the conversation and jumped in. And while person B was going, person B was starting to have a conversation to share the scenario and the situation and more of the detail, but coach C said, no, stop, I don't need to know that let's just talk and explore this and I'm going to ask you some questions. And what happened as a result, the coach that had the most impact was Coach C, the person that had just come in without any technical knowledge or expertise on the area or what that person was going through and they just used questions and helped Person B identify what was going on for them and find a solution. They got Person B to connect the dots. All Coach C was doing was using those open-ended questions to guide and lead a conversation. So by even putting up your hand and volunteering to be the person willing to facilitate a topic of of conversation, whether it's a meeting, a workshop or a conference, a coaching conversation, uh, it's pretty amazing. So you're already standing out um, by someone that's taking this on. But it's definitely a role charged with a ton of uncertainty. 
So you won't know how people will react to the situation, to problems, to questions. You can't anticipate whether someone will share a story that might trigger someone else in the room. You don't know the history of your participants and you don't really know sometimes what's going on in their day-to-day situation. And look, even if you've binge listened to 59 of these episodes, and man, like I've conducted them, but there's still so much more to learn about this game. So all you can do in the moment in a workshop where things are getting tough or when you start to doubt yourself and your credibility up there, all you can do in the moment is to start where you are, to use what you have and just to do what you can. Rule number eight, define what it means to get into state. The difference between peak performance and poor performance is not intelligence or ability. Most often, it's the state that your mind and body is in. And that's a quote from Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins talks about the importance of getting into state every day. And he says that we can switch our state in a heartbeat. So this rule is all about finding out what works for you, what it takes to get you into a proper headspace and physicality. So you're going to bring your best game when it comes to facilitation. Getting into state is all about resetting your mind and your mood. This is so important for us as facilitators. And if you're curious about me quoting Tony Robbins, uh, yes, I love the guy. Yes, I went to his four-day conference in Sydney. And yes, I walked over burning hot coals with bare feet and it was awesome. Okay, side note over. What's fascinated me about uh, previous conversations on this podcast is how often my guests chat about looking after themselves. So I had Kirsty Lewis and Tim Pence on recent episodes. They were both sharing how it's so important for facilitators to take care of themselves mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally, especially because we're the ones that are providing energy to others. And look, more often than not, We're standing up for a large portion of the day as well. Getting into state can mean different things for different people and it can start at different times. For me, it starts the night before a workshop. That means not drinking the night before a workshop, which I admit it can be tricky because um, if you're on the road and working with clients or you're at a conference with your colleagues, You want to do what everyone else is and help build those relationships um, with the people you're working with over a beer or two. But at the same time, um, you're there and you're tasked to perform a job. So I have had a couple of beers a night before workshops um, more than once in my career. (laughs) And it seems to interrupt my sleep patterns a bit. I wake up a little bit thirsty. And so now I try to resist the urge Um, and I also up my water levels the day before and I also iron my shirt the night before listen to rule number one and I prepare pack and I just do whatever I can the day before to limit the amount of brain energy I need to use on workshop day okay so how do you reset your mind even when you're dealing with immense pressure what Tony Robbins says is the secret is in moving your body He says, emotion is created by motion. In other words, our emotions are linked to the movement in our bodies. 
So for me to get into state, I get up early and I exercise. My preference is to get at least a five kilometer run in, but if timing is tough, I'll take two kilometers um, or just getting to a state where I'm sweating it out and my heartbeat is accelerated for at least 10 to 15 minutes, usually on that run or walk. I'm thinking about what I'm going to do that day. And it's funny, uh, more often than not, I actually get some really good ideas on things I can incorporate, which I either need to dismiss or I get really excited and think, how can I make this happen? While you need to figure out what pre-workshop ritual works for you, I have to say and recommend this as part of this rule, I think you definitely need to move your body. I think that really helps and gets out some of those nerves and gets your endorphins charging. Like I said, so after my run, my endorphins are kicking in well and truly. Uh, Life is feeling amazing and I'm in that space to take on the challenges of the day. After the run, I usually get home or back to the hotel room and I fuel up. Ideally, I wouldn't change what I'd have for breakfast. I'd like to keep my routine going, but that's tough to do when you're on the road. Uh, naturally coffee plays a nice role as this morning ritual too and I've heard on other podcasts and through other speakers that the milk well drinking milk but milk and coffee it can uh, constrict your voice and um, I know this but and sometimes I drink a long black but I love having a mocha and it makes me feel good so I haven't weaned myself off milk just yet <laughs> If I'm driving to the venue, I'll pop on my Spotify playlist. It's called First Time Facilitator. Actually, I noticed the other day when I was driving to this Toastmasters presentation, I was so pumped up naturally and the adrenaline was going that I actually needed more mellow songs to calm me down. So I'll be updating that list to include some low-key tunes. But it's a good one to listen to. Um, Again, I'll link to it in the show notes. It's a good one to listen to if you need a bit of a pump up um, before your workshop. And that is it for part two of the 12 rules for facilitation. So here's a quick recap of what those rules were. Rule number five, it takes a lot of work to look natural. Rule number six, Establish a cool-down routine. Rule number seven, start where you are, use what you have and do what you can. And rule number eight, define what it means for you to get into state. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Did any particular rule resonate with you? Um, Are you curious or do you have opinions on any of the other rules? Like I said, I'd love to hear from you. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or send me a direct message um, on Instagram at Leanne Hughes or shoot me an email, hello at firsttimefacilitator.com. And if you like the show and want to build your skills as a facilitator, make it easy for yourself and hit the subscribe button in your podcast player of choice. Next week, I'm back for another interview and then part three of the 12 rules, the last four rules of this series um, will be out following that one. So have a wonderful week and I will speak to you next week. Ciao.